Romans, the fifth chapter. Let's begin, let's read those first 11 verses one more time. And then we're going to spend some time once again just to review, just to review, to know where we're at, to know what we've, we've learned so far, to know how we've been equipped so far with the Word of God. And then we'll, we'll delve a little bit further today. Been in Romans, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 1 down through 11. I'll be reading from New King James Version this morning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. <laughs> Isn't this one of the most glorious passages in all of Scripture? Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. And I just ask, Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, Give us, and perhaps most of all, Lord, who we are not, make us. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Therefore, having been justified by faith, <laughs> who are the justified? This is the redeemed. This is the ones who are truly born again, born of God, born of the Spirit, those who have been saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the justified. Then Paul brings out these results of having been justified. Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. This means we're no longer an enemy, which he talks about in verse 10. We're no longer under the wrath of God, which he talked about in verse 9. But rather in a relationship of peace as his child, we have been reconciled to God. That was verses 10 and 11. So therefore, we have peace with God. Then, therefore, having been justified, we have access to God. Access into this grace in which we stand. Access that we may boldly come to the throne of grace. 
in time of need that we can find grace to help. See, the born-again believer has been made a member of the household of God, having access to God, and this access comes only through one way, and one way only, and that's Jesus Christ. No other way. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. No other way. So therefore... We have peace, therefore we have access to God. Therefore, having been justified, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice, extreme joy in knowing that we have been justified. In knowing that one day we will be completely glorified with Him forever and ever to live for eternity with Him in glory. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Of God, and I've talked about, uh, you know, when you come in in a series and, and you're part of it. I'm, I'm trying to get us all up to speed here because because we've talked about this word hope quite a bit over the last few weeks, and and this word as Paul uses it here is more than we would use the word hope in our casual language. Why well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Just a casual thing of of wishing and hoping it may come true it may not true this hope is a surety this hope is concrete this is something we can rest our our faith and everything upon this this is a a surety and it's based on the work of jesus christ upon the cross and we read this passage last week but it's again it's one of these glorious passages that we could read sunday after sunday it's in hebrews the sixth chapter verses 17 through 20 thus god determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise that let me pause who's the heirs of promise well those who are justified those who are born again Y'all, we're no longer on the outside looking in. But through Christ, we have been made heirs of the promise. And so thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of His counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. There it is. For all who are born again, we we have run to the refuge. We have fled to the refuge of Jesus Christ. We have this hope set before us. In verse 19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This hope we have, child of God, this surety we have in Christ is an anchor of our souls. We are anchored in Christ. Can we get a grip on that? Even, Even knowing that we are anchored in Christ. So this hope that is set before us is sure and steadfast. Our hope and our faith rests in the immutability of God. And, and some of you know well, immutability. What does that mean? Okay, listen. And here's, here's what that means. That, that This means that God is unchanging in His character. He is unchanging in His will. He is unchanging in His promises. You know, we sang that song, uh, You Are God Alone. And it had that 
that bridge to it. Unchangeable, unshakable. That's God. Never changing. Never changing. Immutable. And so we have this anchor, these truths that are an anchor of our souls. And because of this hope, because of the surety in Christ, our anchor, we also glory in tribulations. Uh, Verses 3 and 4, one more time. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. That we, and we talked about here, here we've got all this thing that, that, that Paul is talking about. Therefore, having been justified, you have peace and, and you have access by faith into this grace and you rejoice in the hope of glory. And, then, and not only that, and not only that, and, and people were on the edge of their seat. Well, Paul, what is it? What is it? What's more? What's more? What's more? You can glory in tribulation. But we can, can't we? But how, how can we? How can we glory in tribulation? Because of what we know. Understand that because of, of what we know, and what we know as children of God, that, that helps us to glory, to exalt in tribulation and trouble rather than to grumble and complain, is this, that God has a plan and a purpose for every trial and testing of our faith that comes our way. He does. And rest assured, God is always in control. He is. You know, in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, in this you greatly rejoice. You see, Peter is saying the same things that the Apostle Paul is saying. The message is over and over in the Word of God. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, and who determines the if need be? God. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why would we be grieved by various trials? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, child of God, our faith will be tested in many ways, in various ways, all kinds of various trials, tested by fire. And we've talked about this many, many times. As a metal is refined to remove the impurities, that's why these trials come to refine us as His children, to mold us more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 48, verse 10, remember this. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in what? In the furnace of affliction. Tested so that we might know that our faith is genuine. That that we might know that we indeed possess saving faith. That our Christian character is real. You see, trials will distinguish those who have true saving faith from those who only have a superficial faith of the flesh. You understand that? That A faith that is superficial, not of the Spirit, not wrought by God, but rather a faith that has been brought about by the will of man. You see, the testing of our faith will either drive us to God or drive us away from God. Tribulations produces perseverance, endurance, Patience, the ability to press on, to endure, to continue to the end. You know, how will we know that, that, that we're truly saved? We will endure to the end. 
Man, there's the true evidence. We will endure an enduring faith. And James says this. We, we've read this many, many times. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, perseveres under trial. ESV, remains steadfast under trial. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who loved him. As has been approved. James is saying the same thing. After you've been approved, your character has been proved by the testing of faith. So Peter, Paul, James, all giving us the same word about enduring during trials and tribulations. As we endure, as we stand fast, this proves our character. Enduring in the furnace of affliction burns away the dross and makes sure that our faith is genuine and this in turn gives us more hope. Uh, when the Lord comes through, doesn't that give you more hope? You know, Tom, just thinking about the little story you shared yesterday of being there with that with that the one man, and then there was three others, and you, and, and you just knew that the Lord was talking to you. Go, 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 speak to those guys, and in obedience you went. And didn't that bolster your faith? Yes, it does. See, that's, that's what this is talking about. When, when we know that the Lord comes through time and time and time again, that, that bolsters our faith, that makes our faith stronger, that, that we know, we know because we have evidence, He has proved Himself over and over and over in our, in our lives. It is adding hope upon hope. You know, we, again, we talked about this is where we got to last week of, of adding hope upon hope because hope doesn't begin because we have endured and proven our Christian character. It doesn't begin there. Nobody would be able to persevere in faith if they did not first have hope in God to know that they are anchored in Christ. It, this is the beginning hope. And then as we go through the testing and the trials, then our faith is bolstered more, more, and more hope. In Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You see, this comes first. This comes first. Believing gospel of Jesus Christ. Having joy and peace that comes from this God of hope. And this comes first. Why? Why does this come first? So that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, before the first hope comes with the joy and the peace, we do not have the Spirit. We're not born of the Spirit. But then this, this joy, this hope, the love of God poured out into our heart, He fills us with joy and peace in believing. In believing what? In believing all the things that Christ has done and all His promises that He will do for those who love Him. The things we know. And this brings us, put up verse 5. Put up verse 5. And this hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And again, that this outpouring is not a work of man, but the work of God through the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. It's owing 
to the Holy Spirit. We don't make this happen. The Holy Spirit makes it happen. It's His work. God loved us before we ever loved Him. In fact, we can only love Him because He first loved us. And in uh, 1 John 4, verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God is manifested toward us. What's that manifested? That made known, revealed, is manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, this is enduring love. This is inseparable love. Uh, what can separate us or who can separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Nothing. Nothing. That's, that's in Romans 8. And today we're going to look at, at verses uh, 6 through 8. And you may be saying, Preacher, you used up all your time reviewing. Well, hey, we're, we're taking pieces at a time, aren't we? Pieces at a time. Because we, we, we come, yes, to worship, but we come to be equipped for the work of ministry. And, and as I said, and these 11 verses in the, in Romans 5 are, are crucial. Can I say that? Are, are, are crucial to, to our well-being as a child of God because we need to know these things. And we need to know that God loves us. Even in those times we don't feel that God loves us. Don't run your life on feelings. Go by what you know. Go by what the Word of God says. And, and follow the Word of God. Be led by the Spirit, not by your feelings. So, verses uh, 6 through 8 in Romans 5. And as we look at this today, I pray that we will all see the depths of God's love. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Put yourself in the verse. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Do any of us deserve the love of God? No. No. You see, look at who we were. Look at who we were. Paul's description of, of the one. This is the description Paul gives of the ones that God loves and saves. From, from the group of people that God loves and saves. We were without strength, we were ungodly, we were sinners. And we can add one more. Put verse 10 up. Enemies. That, that's who we were. Everyone, everyone. And some still are in this condition. This is who we were. All once, without strength, ungodly, 
sinners and enemies of God. This was our condition. Without strength. Well, what's that mean? Well, that I had no muscles. No, it's not talking about physical strength. It means we were helpless. It means we were unable to understand spiritual things. Can I put it that way? And I take that from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But the natural man, and that's who we all once were before Christ came. We had no, we weren't a spiritual man or woman then. We were, were what Paul is referring to as natural of the flesh. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, before we we came a spiritual being, the things of God were foolishness. The message of the cross was foolishness. Unable to understand and discern spiritual things. We were also unable to enter or even see the kingdom of God. Well, Well, where do you get that? Well, I take that from that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. In John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. These things were far from us. We did not know enough to even seek after God. Romans 3, verse 11. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. See, and Paul describes this condition of being without strength, weak, and helpless to to a far greater degree in Ephesians. We're just going to read right now verse 1, and I'll probably read a bunch more of it later. But in Ephesians 2, verse 1, look at this. And you He made alive, and, and this alive, spiritual life, you made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. Dead. Devoid of any spiritual life. We were dead. We could not reach out for help. We were dead. We couldn't do anything until first what? How did Lazarus come out? He got a call. A call from the Lord. We don't come out of those death clothes until we get a call. A spiritual call. A call from God, you see. And then He makes us alive. He makes us alive. And just like Lazarus, we come out. We come out of the darkness. We come out of the grave. A new, a new creation. We were without strength. And then Paul says we were all ungodly. See, we were in opposition toward God. We we did not desire to please God in any way or form or fashion. We were unholy. We were unrighteous. You know, Paul expressed this, and we go all the way back to chapter 1. Let's read a a piece from chapter 1 just to remind ourselves of, of this condition. Romans 1, verses 18 through 25. Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Uh, See, here's that word manifest again. 
In other words, it was made visible. It was made so people could see. For God has shown it to them. Well, how? How has God made Himself manifest, visible to the whole world? How has He done that? We'll look in verse 20, it tells us. For since the creation of the world, it's through His creation, God is made known to everyone who walks or whatever on the face of this planet, who takes breath while on the face of this planet, God has made Himself known. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Let me pause there. Because some people will be crying out, well, that's not fair. There, there's people in parts of the world, they haven't, they haven't heard the message yet. They've heard and seen the message of creation. They have seen God. Does God need me to preach and to go so that people can be saved? No, He doesn't. He can reveal Himself without me. Because He is God. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, well, how did they know God? By creation, by just looking and listening and seeing. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. <laughs> That's how Paul gets started. This is the group from which God will choose the bride, the church, or His Son. People in whom He will pour His love into from this group, the world. <laughs> we were all without strength, all ungodly, all sinners, all sinners, all guilty, all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, we all know this. For all have sinned, no exception, save Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then finally, Paul said, we were all once enemies of God. See, and just immediately when I was kind of reading that and was thinking about that, the, the image that came to my mind, at least for me, was that crowd at Pilate's Hall. And they were there and they were just crying out in anger and hatred, crucify, crucify Him. And that was me. That was once you. And we, we, we sing, and I think we might have sung this last Sunday, as a matter of fact. It's got, got the lyric that says, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed. I hear my mocking voice cry out, 
among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Isn't that great? Because now, now, the love of God has been poured out in our heart. And then we went from being a scoffer to one who was crying, crucify, crucify, and were enemies of Him to now being able to say, His dying breath has brought me life. <laughs> All once enemies. All once without strength. All ungodly. All sinners. Then, child of God, try to get a grip on verse 6. Just, just try. Try as you might. Look at verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. <laughs> Praise His holy name. When we were still without strength, still ungodly sinners, still enemies of God, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, when we were utterly helpless to to bring ourselves to God. Had no desire to come to God. We, we were powerless to escape our sin. We, we could not escape our sin. We were powerless to resist the devil. We were following after Him. We were unable to please God in any way. And Christ died for the ungodly. In due time, <laughs> at just the right time, how many years? You know, depending on how you figure it out, that the years, I don't know, 1,500 to 2,000 years, somewhere, I depend on the timetable. I, I, I haven't looked at it to know exactly how many years, but all these years, for the Israelites to try to prove that they could follow the law and be perfect and they couldn't do it. All these years that the Greeks and all these others could, could find their way to God and they couldn't do it. All these years that, that the world was searching for, for whatever that they could worship and look to. And finally, God in, in His glorious timetable said it's time. And Christ came. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. <laughs> Why? Why would He do such a thing? To redeem those who were under the law. Why? Why redeem us? that we might receive the adoption as sons. <laughs> In due time, when the law had fully 
accomplished its purpose in showing man his utter sinfulness and inability to live up to God's perfect standard of righteousness, God sent forth His Son. Let me read that one more time. In due time, when the law had fully accomplished its purpose in showing man his utter sinfulness and inability to live up to God's perfect standard of righteousness, God sent forth His Son. Why? Why did He send Him? To die for the ungodly. To die for those who are without strength. To die for sinners. To die for those who were His enemies. And that, child of God, is love. That's how much you are loved. John 3.16 And there it is, isn't it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? Why would He do such a thing? That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world. I read this last week, but this quote was so profound, I thought, and I forgot to write down who this came from. It said, This love was of such intensity and of such a magnitude that it moved God to give His Son, to send His Son to die for the world, for sinful fallen men, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the intensity, the magnitude of the love of God. So that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. That we might be called children of God. See, that's amazing love, isn't it? That's amazing love. We read this last week. And Stephanie, thanks for putting it out on the sign. In, in 1 John 3, uh, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. <laughs> How about that? Put yourself in a verse. Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on me. That we, that I, should be called children, a child of God. <laughs> That's amazing love. <laughs> did, I put that, did I put another song in there, Chase? Well, put it up there. Put it up there. Can we sing this one? I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. That's amazing love, isn't it? Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you <laughs> in all my joy. It, it, it's my joy. And it's the joy that He gave. It's the joy that He gave. Let's, let's go back into Romans 5, verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, now just stay with me because some of you go, what's he even bringing us up for? I want you to, have you considered the verb tense that's found in this verse? I want you to look up there. Christ died. Past tense. Past tense. This is what he has done. Uh, This is an event that is fixed and unchanging and happened in history past. But but look at the word, but God what? Paul could have said demonstrated, but he didn't. What did he say? Demonstrates. Present. Present. Have you ever ever looked at that? you ever thought about that? Demonstrates. Well, preacher, what's the difference? What, what, what does that make? It means that this love is still ongoing. It's present. It's still ongoing. He demonstrates His love today. Well, well how, how does He do that? How does He do that? Well, the, the same way he, he, He's done for 2,000 years. He, he, he demonstrates it through the past historical fact that Jesus died for us. You see. See, we can tie this to, to Romans 5.5. 5. Now, now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God pours His love out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and continuously, continually demonstrates to us His, His great love by the fact of the death of Jesus Christ. Why do we have communion here every second Sunday of the month? Why do we do that? Well, we do it because Christ has asked us to. We do it in remembrance of Christ. But it's a continual demonstration, do you see that? Of, Of the love of God. Having given His only begotten Son to die upon the cross so that we might be reconciled back to Him, so that we might be redeemed. It's that continual demonstration. So don't forget that. This is continual. This is ongoing. This is the depths of God's love for you, child of God. Verses 7 and 8. Let's put verse 7 and 8 together in Romans 5. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now now understand and know that, that Paul is not contrasting a righteous man with a good man. That's not the point he's making here whatsoever, so don't go there. Paul's point is that it is rare and uncommon for a person to sacrifice his own life in order to save the life of even someone who is righteous and of good character. Now, I understand that that this is what our military our firemen, our police officers, our, our first responders do every day in the line of duty of their job to be willing to give themselves to go in and rescue or save someone. I understand that. But for most people, this is very uncommon. Do you see what I'm saying? To be willing to lay down their life even for someone of righteous character and upstanding And still fewer people, now listen, would be inclined to give their own lives to save a person that they know to be wicked and of a sinful character 
and of immoral behavior. Would you agree? Perhaps, perhaps someone might die for someone who is of good character and righteous. But just think of yourself. Some downcast, thieving addict on the street, would you lay down your life for such as that? That's what Christ did. You understand that? We were all once ungodly, sinful enemies. Did you, do you see that? This is the love that God demonstrates to us. Christ died for the ungodly. Get the depths of that. And that while we were still sinners, ungodly and enemies, God demonstrates His own love toward us through the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. We didn't deserve His love. We certainly didn't earn His love. There was absolutely nothing about us that warranted this great love. It was all by His great love, mercy, and grace at His goodwill. Because He is God. Let's read 8-10. through 10. We're creeping into it, aren't we? Stay with me. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than... Oh, here He is again. Much more. You want to know what the much more is? Well, sure we want to know what the much more is. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we should be saved from wrath through Him. Or if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, He does it again. Much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, if God loved us, called us, redeemed us while we were still sinners, ungodly, and enemies, Paul uses that phrase, much more then will He save us from the wrath to come as His child. You see that? If He loved us enough to send His Son to die for us while we were yet sinners, how much does He love us now as His child? One writer put it this way. Listen, I thought this was pretty good. A dying Savior reconciled us to God. A living, resurrected Savior keeps us reconciled. That's saving, keeping power, you see. A dying Savior reconciled us to God. A living, resurrected Savior keeps us reconciled. That continual demonstration, you see. And in this we exalt. In this we magnify the Lord. For He has reconciled us to Himself. Verse 11. Not only that... (laughs) Much more then, and then, and again, much more, and then, and not only that, in verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. And we're going to save that for next Sunday, for Communion Sunday. But here I want to do this. I want to go back to that Ephesians 2, and I want to read those first seven verses. And, child of God, if everything 
we have heard and learned this morning. And look at this. Look at this. Put it all together. Put it all together. We read, we read, we read verse 1 earlier, but now the first seven verses of Ephesians 2. And you, He, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, this, this was us, also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. But God, <laughs> but God, who is rich in mercy because of His, here it is, great love, great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us set together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in, the kind, in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And praise His holy name for loving me, for loving you. For God so loved the world. John 3.16 one more time. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, well preacher, I'm, I'm not sure I... I'm not sure I've believed. I'm not sure... I'm not sure about this love of God. I don't know if I have that poured out. What 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 do I do? What... Well, here, I believe, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, received by faith, by grace through faith, Christ, repent, repent, turn, turn from your sin. And you can only truly, truly do that by a work of the Holy Spirit. Well, how will I know? If the Spirit has come, well, His Spirit will bear witness with you that you are a child of God. And then the fruit of your life will also bear witness. And so there will be evidence. Are you changed? Are you changed? If, you didn't get, if, if you're not changed, if your behavior is the same, if you're the same old person, it's a pretty good chance you didn't get anything. And I'm not going to tell you whether you did or not. Did or not. I'm going to let the Lord work that out with you. But the fruit of her life, what's the evidence that we are saved? You will know them by their fruit. Their fruit. It's in Romans 10, verses 8 through 13. Let's just, let me just read a few more verses that, that, that are dealing with this aspect right here. And so this is those, this is for the unbeliever. This is for those, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Well, listen, listen. But, but what does it say? In other words, what does the word of God say? The Word is near you and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? 
from the wrath of God that will one day fall upon all unbelievers. That's what you'll be saved from. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 5, verse 24. I'm going to go through a few more verses here. Most assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, wrath, but has passed from death into life. That this is for those who are born again. That this would be them, everlasting life. Will not come into judgment. Will pass from death into life. In John 6, verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. You know, a belief that is wrought by the Spirit. Not, not, not a believing that the demons have. They, they, they believe in Jesus. They know He's real. They know, they know their destination. They know where they're bound for. And they want to take as many people with them as they can. Believe and repent. Matthew 4, verse 17. But from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Acts 3, verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In Luke 13, 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise Look at the word. Perish. So believe and repent. Don't be among the perishing. Put John 3.16 up one more time. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we, we give You thanks for Your Word of truth. And I, I pray that by Your Spirit You will strengthen every heart that's here. For the born again, for the true believers, I, I pray that You would remind them continuously that You would demonstrate in their lives Your great love. Father, just prove Yourself faithful to them. That, that through experiences of, of You proving Yourself that their faith will grow more and more and their hope will be bolstered more and more and, and they will be bold in their witness because of what You have done. So Father, help us to never forget what Christ has done. Help us to never forget where You have brought us from so that we might have compassion on others that, that we may want to look down on, that we may want to be angry with, that we may want to hold bitterness with, but, but, we, but we know by their fruits that by all indication that they're lost without You, and so why, why would we expect them to act any differently than they do?
So Lord, let us pray for them. Let us share the love of Christ with them. So Father, should there be someone who is yet lost, who has heard this sermon, I pray, Lord, that You would perform a miracle that only You can perform. And that's to bring to life that which is dead. And it's only by You and Your great power that this can be accomplished. So Father, call to them. Open their eyes so that they might see Your righteousness, Your holiness. And that in getting a glimpse of the glory of God that they would see their sin. That they would know they're a sinner bound for hell. That they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And Father, by Your grace and mercy, show them the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. Show them the rescue for sinners. Lord, grant them faith that they may believe and receive Christ, that they might confess their sins and turn from their sins and wicked ways and, and begin to follow You all the rest of their days. So, Word of God, speak. And Father, should I have misspoke or anything today, I pray that You would just erase it from their memories. I know You can do such a thing. And just help them to remember, each one remember what you would have them to bring to mind. So Lord, may we always give thanks. Always give thanks. For the grace and mercy that you have shown. For the great love that you have poured out into our hearts. Lord, we are thankful. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.